Yes, yes. I don't do too many flips, but you know, sometimes they do come up. In terms of opportunities, the off-market with the buy and hold, with building relationships with property managers, they're dealing with other tenants. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Hey everybody, Sarah Larby, and welcome back to another episode of Where Should I Invest? And today's guest, Tomas Lorini, is a Canadian living in California in Orange County and got away from the cold and the winter. Super jealous. But on a serious note, Tomas is an investor and he still invests actually in Canada. He built a team in Windsor, Ontario, and has been able to do that actually being remote all the way to, you know, different time zones and many hours away. And so he is investing in Windsor and then he actually started off investing in Hamilton, Ontario, and built a team as well, partly from long distance and partly from people that he knew while he was living there but super interesting because if you guys are worried about investing too far away i mean this guy is doing it and he's doing it really successfully so that uh, is going to be an interesting topic of conversation and part of what we also discuss guys because i know there's a lot of podcasts out there and as canadians we know things are different so always keep that in mind taxes are different how to finance properties are different i mean of course some of the fundamentals are still the same but there are some differences we're going to talk briefly about that just keep in mind you know we're not accountants we're not lawyers we're not mortgage brokers so definitely consult with a professional obviously before taking any action but it is really interesting to note some of the differences and so I am really excited to get on with the podcast. And prior to that, if you guys can take a moment to subscribe and provide a rating or a comment, or even if you guys want to reach out to me with any questions, that would be awesome. Or if you guys have a really cool story and you want to potentially be a guest on one of the future episodes, feel free to reach out and let me know what the story is. And I would be more than happy to talk to you. And I think that's one of the things that's really important for me is to be able to be approachable and be able to be one of those people that you guys can reach out to with questions or requests or different things. Because at the end of the day, if I can help people and I can help you guys and I can help you be more successful, then that is 100% going to make me happy. So with that said, let's meet Tomas. Hey Tomas, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Sarah? Good. I'm really excited to have you on. Where should I invest? Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. I'm super excited to be talking about this subject. Yes. So now you're talking to us all the way from California. Yes, ma'am. Talking from Orange County, California. So you live there now, but you used to live in Canada. Is that correct? Yes. So um, born and raised in Toronto. And uh, about four years ago, we moved here, um, me and my wife and kids. And uh, we moved mainly because my wife's originally from Orange County. So we want to get closer to her family. 
but also to enjoy the warmer weather. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> that is one thing that I always tell myself, even though I love Canada as a country, man, the winters are way too long and way too cold. Yeah, as much as like I like seasons, when you get the long winters, you're stuck in, you know, shoveling and scraping the snow, I mean, the ice off your windshield and, you know, having to put the, you know, the salt. I, I don't miss any of that. So since we've been here and you get pretty consistent weather and uh, it's just been nice. And, you know, we're only about 20 minutes from the ocean. So definitely get to go to the beach. So just thankful, thankful to be here. Amazing. So now it's really interesting. I wanted to have you on the show because you invest in Ontario, but you're you're living and you're doing it from a distance from California. So I think I think that's yes. really interesting and definitely something I want to talk about because if you can do it, I mean, it gives opportunities for other people that you know are remote to be able to figure out some strategies on how they can do it as well. Exactly. You know, in the world of real estate, there's so many different ways of, of doing real estate. You know, I'm always connecting, meeting new people and just sharing experiences. And when I tell my story a lot of times, people are like, wow, how do you do it? So with me, I started investing in 2011. I bought my principal residency in 2004 and I always wanted to get more involved in real estate. But everyone I knew from family, friends and coworkers were no one I knew was doing, you know, rental properties or anything besides owning their principal residency. And I always wanted to get involved in it. Everyone was like, oh, just keep investing in the stock market or, or mutual funds. But uh, what I ended up doing was uh, surrounding myself around a good network of people who were in real estate, investing in real estate. And they just shared some of you know, the strategies and ways they were doing it. So I decided in 2011, took some action, bought my first duplex. And things just slowly started to escalate from that standpoint. That's awesome. So can you tell us a little bit more about the duplex and some of the financials? Absolutely. So the way I did it, I pulled a HELOC off of my home. So that's a home equity line off of my principal residency. Took about $112,000 off my house and uh, invest in that first duplex. That first property was around $260,000. It was in Hamilton. You know, I always tell people like, you know, real estate is never easy. And that first deal, it really went sideways real quick. And I could have given up and I could have ended it right there. I bought it, that duplex at 260 and it needs some renovations. I had my realtor that time. He referred me a contractor. He priced me out the job of the rentals to be around $14,000. I'm super green, so I give him $7,000 on the spot. And he tells me it's going to be a three-week job. Fast forward, a month later, he hasn't done any of the work. I start trying to reach him. He's impossible to reach. So fast forward another few months, I ended up having to find a different contractor to finish the work. And finally, I put tenants in place, I think about six or seven months later. So I was carrying this home. I was eating the cost. And um, it was really a challenging time. But I persevered. I put tenants in place and I learned a good lesson. That yeah. property... Yeah, you, you just never know. But, you know, uh, I tell people all the time, you know, you got to live and learn. You know, I, I try and tell people now, you know, there's different ways in terms of um, you know, getting, getting different references and try to minimize the risk. That 
is probably somebody's worst nightmare listening to this and thinking, yeah. oh my God, you know, this, it's, it is honestly, it's really hard to find good contractors at the right prices that actually have time to do your projects. Like I'm just literally finishing a flip and, you know, it actually kind of has been a little bit of a nightmare <laughs> with yeah, contractors and then you have to hire additional, you know, few contractors. I mean, we got through it, but oh man, it, it's not for everybody. That's for sure. But you know, it's, right. it's awesome that you went and you decided to do it and you didn't listen to other people saying would just invest in the stock market or invest in some mutual funds and you actually said mm -hmm. you know I want to do this and you pulled the trigger and even though it you know didn't seem like it was smooth sailing the whole time that you know like you are much further ahead today and you kept going so that's awesome absolutely so to give you some more numbers we rent we ended up renting that the duplex we went to the basement for nine hundred dollars and the upstairs for 1500 And you know, after that point, it was pretty smooth sailings. And about a year and a half later, we, we ended up, uh, well, me and my wife, we bought our second property, a single family in a similar area. So we decided to move to Orange County. And literally within about a month or two, I got my realtor calling me saying, listen, there's a condo, great price point, you know, maybe interested in it. And at the same time, I looked and I found another condo. So again, we were over here and I made two offers. It was December 2014. I ended up you know, closing on both of those just before the year end and bought two more properties. That's awesome. Fast forward. Yeah, fast forward again a few months. And at this point now, you know, four or five properties, uh, family and friends are starting to notice, hey, you know, you're doing this real estate thing. I want to start, you know, doing, I want, I'm interested. And that's when, you know, things started snowballing. I started doing joint ventures and partnering with people. And I started doing, you know, I bought a home, a partner with my sister and then another property after that with someone else and then a friend, you know, so just things started escalating. Once you start getting into real estate and, you know, you start, you build a, a solid team. That's another point I should mention is that when I, I invest, you know, there's a, like many people know that you have a team surround yourself from the realtor, contractors, to tenant finding crews, to cleaning people, to you know, a good network of people that support from even accountants and lawyers. Mm -hmm. And that helps to make this, you know, make this, this entire mechanism work. Yeah, that's amazing. And now, so you're doing this from a distance. Can you give us some tips on finding those people and, you know, building your team? Absolutely. So over the last number of years, you know, even that original area, Hamilton started to, you know, appreciate significantly. And I'm always interested in investing for cash flow. So I've had to look elsewhere. So I've had literally from Orange County, I had to start you know, networking and just making calls and just doing my homework, investigating different areas where I could find cash flow properties. And uh, about two years ago, I started looking at Windsor. So I'd probably been to Windsor once my entire life. And so from here, I start connecting with different property managers, uh, interviewing them local realtors and just start identifying you know what what the city was all about and the different properties different areas educate myself and you know as time went on i started getting comfortable we started making offers and i was making offers from a distance and wow. you know we got to stop putting limits i think you know and what what we can do these limitations sometimes block the opportunities so you know and and i just discovered that you know i'm able to do it and I've been having good solid boots in the ground. So I've had to build an entire team in this new market over the last year and a half. And 
you know, and it's, it's been good. I've been finding some solid deals, off-market deals. Uh, we bought a, a nine-plex and a five-plex off-market just based on those relationships. Okay, so I have a few questions I want to ask you about that. So because you're doing it from a distance, do you have mm-hmm. any family or feet on the ground or anybody at all? Or you literally were, you know, finding your realtor from a distance, finding your, you know, everybody else for, for the Windsor market? That's a good question. So I've been able to connect the real estate agents through long distance. I've been able to start negotiating and making offers from a distance. However, some of these larger renovations, I've had to, you know, have more eyes and ears on the ground. You know, based on that prior experience I mentioned, you know, it's not always smooth once you get into into renos. So I have someone, you know, a close family member who's able to keep a close eye on the project. So we're going through a a large value add, a large rental project on this multi-unit. It's taken a considerable amount of time. We have to vacate previous tenants and slowly start upgrading each each unit. So, you know, we had one contract contractor on a job, but it wasn't performing to our levels with the change contractors. But I do have someone going there, you know, on a, every other week, you know, keeping tabs and just keeping check and trying to keep, you know, the project moving forward. Yeah, no, that's that's really important. So like if somebody is listening to this and they live far and they want to invest in southern Ontario or Windsor and they don't have family or feet on the ground, like do you have any suggestions for them? Well, I, I definitely recommend them to take a trip to the area, get a little bit familiar with the environment, with the with the area, with some of the homes. Um, if you're gonna make an offer, you know, you can make offers from long distance. You may want to consider seeing the property before signing the final, you know, contract. But you definitely want to build some relationship with local property managers. If you're not comfortable, if it's your, especially if it's your first property, uh, you may not understand all the intricacies of how to deal with tenants. So you may want to definitely consider having a property manager on your team. And of course, a real estate agent who understands, you know, the investing world. Yeah, absolutely. Some great advice for sure. So you mentioned that you find some properties under market value or um, Mm -hmm. even just private deals off MLS. So how are you finding that? There's different ways. Definitely networking. I'll give an example of a a property I found. I was uh, scouring a website, you know, a real estate website, and someone had posted something like, hey, have a property in Canada, considering partnering with somebody. So I just reached out to the individual, found out it was in Hamilton. I said, hey, I invest in that area. I may be interested in buying it. So I had my real estate agent go take a look at the property. You know, he walked it for me and he reported back what, what he considered, you know, all, all his findings. You know, the place needed a considerable amount of work. So I made a fair market, you know, offer and he accepted. Now there were tenants in place. He had the same tenants for 22 years. So it was conditioned on the tenants vacating so it took about five months to close that particular deal. But then once they moved out, we went and started renovating it. And I partnered with, with a friend of mine on that particular deal. And to give you an idea, we bought it for 140000 We put 100000 put 110000 into it. We originally got, we were going to rent it out, but then the market was, was moving quickly. And this was in uh, early 2015. We, uh, yeah, January 2015, we put the house in the market. And, and it sold in three days, and we sold for 4.45. So it wasn't originally going to be a flip, but then we started doing the renovations, and they, they just kept adding more and more from the basement to, you know, the exterior of the house had to be regraded, to repointing the bricks. So 
as costs escalated, we figured, you know, it's probably best to do just to flip this. And then, and we did, and we made a good profit. That's awesome. So are most of your properties then long-term buy and holds? Yes. Yes. I don't do too many flips, but you know, sometimes they do come up in terms of opportunities, they're off market with, with the buy and hold with building relationships with property managers. They're dealing with other tenants and sometimes they, you know, I mean, they're dealing with other clients and every once in a while they want to offload a product. And that's what happened to our five flex that we, we recently purchased in Windsor. We were in communication with this property manager and I said, I'm interested, you know, in buying you know, some more properties. Please keep me in touch. Something comes up or, you know, of a client who's looking to sell. And within a month or two, you know, he goes, I think I have a deal. If you may be interested, you know, we negotiate a price and we close. So we did purchase that property off market. Okay, great. So I do want to talk a little bit about Windsor. I mean, I have started looking into it. I don't know if personally I... I will invest there, mm-hmm. but there seems to be some good fundamentals. And I, I like looking at the fundamentals that make a region or a city or a town, you know, a potential good, attractive option mm-hmm. for investing. Can you tell us a little bit about why you picked Windsor? Cash flow. <laughs> yeah. As I mentioned, you know, I'm born and raised in Toronto. And, you know, I'm not saying it's impossible, but the price points in Toronto and the GTA have escalated significantly in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. It's making it more and more difficult to find cash flow properties. And that's why I started investing in Hamilton. And even Hamilton has gone up significantly. But it's not impossible. You can find deals just harder and harder. So I just, you know, I started investing in other areas. And I know some people are looking in the outskirts, like Brantford. And then I just, you know, I was on some some uh, websites. And I, I was considering, hmm, what about Windsor? You know, it's a considerable distance. It's four hours away from Toronto. And I just started making some calls and started looking to the kind of like underlining, you know, the economy. And at that time, two years ago, you know, not too many people I knew were even were even considering Windsor. You know, I, like I said earlier, I only been to Windsor once in my in my entire life. But uh, I did fly out, visit family, took a drive down, met with some you know local realtors, and just kind of got a feel of the city. And what I noticed, what sometimes you can't see, you know, online, is that there's a lot of you know improvements happening. I saw a lot of construction going on. I saw a lot of road improvements. I saw a lot of changes. I said, okay, well, maybe the city's investing itself. I do know when the market, you know, turned in 2008, nine, you know, the city did take a, a significant hit, and you know, there was a, a large, you know, in terms of unemployment, it had, you know, it had gone up considerably, but over the past, you know, three, four years, it, it has really gone down. You know, that thing was below the national average. And at one point, I believe it was the, at the lowest rate, unemployment rate in the country. Okay, so some good things. And then what about the university there? Does that help? I don't personally invest into student rentals, but, you know, having, being in, in university, uh, it's definitely something you want, someone can consider. You know, it's, it's not a huge city. Windsor and surrounding areas, I believe it's around 250,000 people. And, you know, having a major university um, is definitely something to consider. Yeah. When I looked at Brantford, I mean, one of the things that I wanted to do is work with or have as a tenant profile families that were looking for three and four bedrooms because a lot of the investors back, you know, when I started investing in in Brantford, they were Mm -hmm. scooping up the 
three, four, five bedroom properties, and then there was this like huge demand and very low supply that was uh, created for families to be, you know, they couldn't find anything. So that's kind of where I, I started. And to be honest, like they're, you know, it's probably the easiest type of tenant profile <laughs> to have right. this single right. family in house, or you know, paying the utilities off and. But it was just so easy, like you really have the opportunity to pick out your tenants when there's that little amount of supply and a lot of demand. So I don't know if Windsor is like that or was like that or or if it's... Yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely a lot of single families and the price point, you can find a single family between $100,000 and $150,000 still. And, you know, the rent in comparison, you know, eight, nine hundred, even $1,000. So those are like, in terms of, you know, numbers very difficult to find that you know it's almost like a one percent rule with a lot of you know individuals here in the u.s base their rental criteria on which in toronto or in canada in general is very hard to find one percent rule being you know your rent is one percent of the purchase price mm-hmm. where should i invest with your host sarah larvey we'll be right back Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment and pause the podcast interview here because I wanted to introduce you to Dahlia Barsoom of Streetwise Mortgages. I am a big believer, as you guys probably have heard, work with a mortgage broker. They are going to help you scale. And when I was first growing in real estate investing and looking to buying my second property and my third property, I was going directly to the bank then. I hadn't met Dahlia yet. And I actually was hitting a roadblock when it came to financing because the bank started asking me for 25% as the down payment. And then for my third property, they wanted 35%. And it was really, really hard for me to A, understand why it was creeping up like that. And B, I didn't have 35% to put down. I had 20%. And luckily, I actually met Dahlia at that point in time. And Dahlia is actually an investor herself, and she works with many, many investors. And she knows all the pitfalls and the barriers that normally come up with dealing directly with a bank and all the different lenders. And Dahlia was actually able to not just find me proper alternatives, but I've got nine properties now, and I'm still able to get financing with A lenders, and it allows me to be able to scale up without hitting the financing wall. And so she's been a tremendous help. So the other thing I really, really enjoy is Dahlia also does a free goals analysis. So if you go to either my website or her website, streetwisemortgages.com, mention the podcast and ask for the free goals analysis, it was a game changer for me. And it allowed me to actually understand what I needed to do, how many properties I was going to get because of the cash flow that I was looking for. If you guys wanted to reach out to Dahlia, you can reach out to her by email, which is info at streetwisemortgages.com. Or you can actually reach out to her on the website at streetwisemortgages.com and then just go to the contact section. And you can also call her at 1-800-208-208. 6255. Thanks for listening and back to the show. Back to the show. Where should I invest? Real estate investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, awesome. So, what's the next step for you? Well, next step is, you know, like I have these two areas that I've got a good solid team. I'm looking actually right now to, I'm considering a couple options. 
One is continue investing in Windsor. Uh, right now, it's an opportunity on a triplex, which is connected to my other multi. So I'm looking at purchasing that one. And also expanding here in the US. Now that I've been here for about three and a half years, almost four years, there are opportunities now coming up. I'm gonna get involved in. And also out of state. California in general is very similar to Toronto and the GTA, very expensive. So a lot of people here also invest out of state. So where out of state would you look? Well, it's all about relationships. The people I've been connecting with, you know, I'm part of a meetup here and, and a lot of investors are spread across the countries, Indianapolis, Atlanta, Ohio. But uh, recently a close uh, friend of mine has been investing in North Carolina and uh, we just made an offer on the property this past week. So um, if, it, if it goes through, then, you know, we'll move forward with, with this product, with this newest acquisition and, you know, move forward. The good thing with this one is that we had the opportunity to get 100% financing. Oh, wow. Good for you. <laughs> so how yeah, did it's, work out? Again, it's all about building relationships and networking. You know, family friend was willing to put the money for a small fee and it's kind of like a bridge loan. The idea was let's hear this, this piece of property. We can offer an all cash offer, really quick closing. And we got 100% financing for it from this family member. And we're looking to re- do some improvements, refinance, pull the money out, pay off the investor and have another rental property with very little of our own cash. That's awesome. So, you know, like now that you have, you know, a handful of properties and units, are you financing them still yourself or is it joint venture money or how are you doing that? I'm getting a combination. I've done a lot of joint ventures where I'm utilizing my partner's ability to qualify for loans. I've financed my own in terms of getting my own mortgages. And going forward, depending on the size of the project, you know, may have to raise capital. That's something that, you know, I'm considering. But until now, I've not had to raise additional capital besides the partners I've been associating myself with. Okay. And the joint venture partners, I mean, I think you mentioned like your friend or your, your family member. Is it mostly mm-hmm. people that you knew in the past that were, you know, kind of watching you go and grow and then yes. wanted to be part of it? Yes, exactly. You know, just people that I know personally, you know, have some sort of relationship and there's a trust factor there. It's for me, you know, to just meet someone or have someone call me and just start investing. You know, I don't say it's impossible. But there's a certain element, you know, you are, in fact, you know, joint venture, you're partnering with that person, that individual. So, that, you know, you definitely want to kind of line up with them uh, in a lot of ways, you know. Um, do you match well in terms of personalities, in terms of um, uh, investments, you know, the way you look at money? Um, you know, it may want to go as deep as finding out, you know, the background and, and kind of where, where the credit stands. But at the end of the day, you know, depending on how that structure is set up, you know, there's liability concerns that you have to, you know, factor in. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. So are you putting together some type of agreements with the lawyer about your partnership or how are you? Are you doing it as a corporation or how is it structured? Right. So in Canada, you know, yes, I went to that lawyer, got a joint venture agreement created. It's a lengthy contract, about 30, 40 pages and all the deals thus far have been, well, not all of them, majority of them have been in our personal names. So we create a, you know, a joint venture agreement between both of us on a particular property. 
we determine the all of the negotiating determine all the different you know layout of the agreement if it's a 50 50 split 60 40 70 30 whatever we agree on you know how much each of us would invest and what the return would be and once we we have to you know create this contract now we we are we have a written contract in place and there's no surprises and we move forward and most of them are based on you know on some sort of exit you know let's say five-year exit so we purchase this property rent it out you know let's use an example we buy a property for two hundred thousand dollars it rents for like you know eighteen hundred dollars a month we agree we're 50 50 partners we put in you know half of everything if any expense comes up, we either you know use the, the that particular bank account, the property bank account, to fund the, the improvements, or we have to actually you know use our own our own um, money to uh, to pay for that particular expense. Mm-hmm. Okay. So are you finding that now that you're living in the U.S., are you having more trouble getting financing in Canada, or vice versa? Yes. Did you have some issues yes. getting financing in the U.S. being Canadian originally? Yes. So. I definitely have a lot more challenges finding financing Canada being a non-resident. So that's one of the things it's kind of forced me to join venture with people because once you're non-resident, you're very limited on the type of, you know, loans you can get. Hard money loans are a lot easier, but conventional financing for myself being non-resident in Canada is is very challenging. Okay. And what about buying in the US? Like did you have a certain timeline that you had to wait in Yes, good point. So I had to wait two years, you know, for for to be able to qualify for a conventional mortgage here. It was interesting when I first moved here. You know, I thought, you know, I, my credit remained because there's Equifax and TransUnion, same as same as in Canada in the U.S. But that's not the case. I had to actually start my credit basically was like a zero. I had to build up credit like I was like, you know, 15 years old. <laughs> I had to basically, I had to hand them over a thousand dollars to the bank and they gave me a card and it was a secured, you know, credit card, you know, about a year to build up my credit. And now I have great credit and now I qualify for a mortgage. But, you know, it wasn't just the credit, sorry, it was a credit and a combination of two year tax returns. So it took two years of tax returns filed to be able to, be able to qualify for a, a standard mortgage in the US. Yeah, no, just something like interesting for people to know, right? So, I mean, for me personally, at some point, I'm going to be moving out of this winter <laughs> into somewhere warmer. So, you know, right. always things to consider. I'm sure some people are thinking the same at some point as well. So in terms of taxes, and I know you're not an accountant or anything like that, but are you having to file taxes in Canada and in the U.S.? I, I do. I do. And the reason is because my properties in Canada are generating, you know, an income. Right. So I do file in both countries and, you know, I have, I have a CPA who is familiar, you know, with both countries and it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's Absolutely. just part of the process. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And then the other thing too, to note, you know, cause there are some differences between the U S and Canada. I think it's, you know, good to incorporate in Canada, but not necessarily that's not the route that you would do if you were buying something in the U S. So correct me if I'm wrong, cause I don't buy in the U S and I haven't invested right. there, but corporation again like you could do it personally you know and buy if you're buying one or two houses you don't need necessarily need a corporation talk to your mortgage broker accountant and uh and lawyer to review the pros and cons on that but you know in terms of going to the u.s a corporation i don't think is the way to go well interesting enough in the u.s they have something called an llc yeah and exactly. we don't have that llc in in canada but you know it's a limited liability company and it's got certain elements that offer protection 
So what a lot of investors do here in the U.S. is they purchase within this LLC. So it offers um, some level of protection because here in the U.S., as many Canadians know, like people are, <laughs> they, they tend to sue each other quite a lot. And, you know, you may have a tenant, you know, and that may, you know, claim slip and fall injury, whatever it is, and they're going to come after you. So but being, having the property underneath an LLC offers a layer of protection. And it's an interesting conversation. I, I just spoke with another investor here, and he has all his properties in an LLC, and he limits the amount of equity he keeps in each property to 20%. And the, and the logic behind it is that he doesn't want to pay off any of his, any of his properties. He doesn't want to have too much equity into them because if, in fact, he were to be sued, you know, the opposition's attorney would look into the, you know, the ownership and realize that, well, listen, there's not much here to go after. You know, once you, fa you factor in the costs associated with litigation and, you know, legal fees, all that stuff, that there's not that much available you know, for them that they may not, they may not pursue that case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those, that's like a great point. I've heard, I think it was on a Bigger Pockets podcast or something along those lines that somebody was using that same strategy because of that specific reason. They just didn't want to have too much equity and they didn't want to look like a good suable candidate. Right, right. And it's always interesting conversations like, do I pay off my rentals? You know, what's the long term goal? Is it to have like, you know, 50, 100 units at like 20% equity or start paying them off? You know, and it's funny, I'm coming to a point now where I've generated some solid equity in some of my properties. And it's like, hmm, you know, like I get it. Like, in, you know, in 15 years, the mortgage will pay off and I'll be getting this, you know, residual income, you know, obviously more because now well, whatever rent is, rent, rent is coming in is being offset by the mortgage payments. However, let's say, let's use an example, a $300,000 property. Now, if that property is paid off, you have $300,000 just sitting there. Is it considered dead money? It could be better utilized elsewhere. So that's something now where I'm kind of like, you know, at that point, and it's interesting along the ride, you know, it's something you don't consider until you're actually in it. So now at that point, kind of considering, hmm, maybe I should pull out some equity and use it to buy more properties. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, that's how I've been able to scale in a way too, is by using some equity to buy the next property. And I think you mentioned in the beginning of the podcast as well as you started by using the equity in your own house to be able right. to buy a rental. And you know, right. when I started, I didn't even know that was even a possibility. I was like <laughs> saving every single dollar <laughs> and it took away right. than probably it could have. So a lot of people are sitting on a lot of equity or even, you know, like if you've had your house in the GTA for like three, four, five years, you probably have enough to buy, mm -hmm. you know, 20% down in a, you know, St. Catharines, Brantford, Windsor type of market, you know, an hour and a right. half or two hours away, you probably can actually get started. And mm -hmm. uh, it's sometimes, you know, like the bank is not going to tell you that that's an option because for them, it really... They'd rather see you paying down their mortgage because <laughs> right. at some point, you know, you're a liability for that. And they'd rather you invest their money in their mutual funds because, to be honest, I think they actually get paid a little bit better by giving you guys that advice of, you know, investing in boring mutual funds and keeping it in there in the long run and then losing like right. three and a half percent every year, which is a whole other story. But, you know, the way that you started is genius. And I think that everybody that has a property that has had it for a while, like you probably can get started tomorrow. Mm -hmm. 
And one another strategy that a lot of people are considering these days, or not a lot of people, some people are considering, right? Which I also, you know, think is a, a good strategy is let's say you own a principal residency, it's paid off or it's got a considerable amount of equity in it. You know, if you time it right, you know, you there's a strategy where if you sell it, now you're sitting on, on a lot of money, a lot of funds, and you rent for some time, and then you invest that money into income producing rental properties. But, you know, a lot of time, you know, and that's something that people are like, well, renting, I'm like, well, you know, if you think about it, 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 it depending on, you know, like we mentioned earlier, some people have like, you know, potentially $800 million in equity sitting in their home, they sell it. Now you've cashed in on this, on this money, you know, and now you can put it to work and you can find like legitimate rental, you know, you can rent for not that much, like for two, $2,000 a month, you know, you could be generating like, you know, 10, 15, $20,000 of income a month. Yeah, absolutely. You could actually, so this is what I say to a lot of people that say, Sarah, like it's so expensive in Toronto and you probably get that being in Orange County. And I'm like, just rent wherever you want to live. If you know, don't yes. stress out about buying a million dollar house, just rent. Yep. And then use yep. that money that you've saved up and go buy two or three properties. Because oftentimes if you buy with the right cash flow, you can then use that mm. cash flow to offset your rent and then potentially at some point live for free. And then you right. have the best of both worlds. So I would just, yeah. uh, you know, that is one of the pieces of advice that I give a lot of, you know, young folks and, and older folks as well. But a lot of millennials that are saying, you know, Sarah, like I cannot afford to live in Toronto. I can't, everything is just so expensive. How am I ever gonna buy yeah. a property? But they don't need to, they just need to think outside the box. Absolutely, especially when you can buy these, you know, these rental properties for like one hundred fifty thousand or two hundred thousand dollars in other areas. Yeah, absolutely. And there's still, I mean, there's still those opportunities left. Whether it's in Windsor, I mean, you know, the Windsor market, like I'm still seeing things, one hundred and sixty, one hundred and seventy, one hundred and thirty thousand dollar houses. You know, yes, some of them need some work, and you got to check the areas you don't want to buy in the worst of the worst. But you know, even right. in Brantford, I mean, just a couple months ago, I bought a two hundred and twenty thousand dollar house, and you know, we decided to, to flip that, but, you know, easily I, I may decide to hold it depending on what happens, but, you know, it's it's a perfect rental uh, option that I could rent for sixteen fifty if I wanted to. So there's still those opportunities left and yeah. a house for, you know, 250 or even 200, I mean, that's maybe 50 or 60K as the down payment that mm. Probably if you're saving for a house in Toronto, you might have it already, right? And so, you know, keep saving, but just buy, save to buy the rental income properties. Yes, yes. And in terms of renting, you know, like it offer, offers flexibility, you know, if you don't to rent, you can potentially move. Like millennials, you know, they like that flexibility. Maybe I want to live in Toronto for a few years, but then I want to move to Chicago. I want to be able to move to Los Angeles. So that's another you know, eventual benefit of renting. Yeah, absolutely. The freedom for sure. Cool. Awesome. So the next part of our podcast is called the lightning round. So I'm going to ask you five questions and okay. give me the first answer that you come up with. I mean, you can expand a little bit, but the answer should be about 30 seconds long. You ready? Go for it. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book ever? That's got to be the first one, Cashflow Quadrants, Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah, that's a good one. Number two, do you listen to podcasts? I do. Bigger Pockets. Okay, perfect. I was going to ask you what your favorite podcast is. Bigger Pockets. Awesome. I say Bigger Pockets. A lot of great information there. Yes, there is. Actually, that Bigger Pockets, I used to drive, I mean, I still do drive a lot for work for my sales job, and Bigger Pockets really is the, you know, the one podcast that taught me so much. And 
keep in mind, guys, if you're listening to this and you're from Canada, like a lot of the tax strategies and the financing is different. But regardless, real estate is real estate. And a lot of the tactics are similar and can be transferred over. Totally agree. Question number three, what's your favorite pastime? So what do you do for fun when you're not investing in real estate? Well, I got two young kids. They definitely keep me busy, but I enjoy playing soccer. I've been playing it since I was a kid and I play on a team and it's just my once a week outlet. So definitely soccer. And here I live in Orange County, hiking. You know, we hike as a family, a lot of great trails, a lot of great places to hike, a lot of, you know, mountains and terrain. So we definitely like to get out, you know, Saturday morning and just go out for a couple hours. Yeah, sounds fun. Especially when we're <laughs> cold in the winter and you're going to be in the nice weather. I'll be uh, thinking about it. <laughs> I remember my first year moving out to Orange County. I just I'd be sending family pictures and videos, but at some point I had to slow it down. I just I didn't want to make people feel bad, especially in the winter when we'd be out in the beach and people would be like, you know, minus thirty back oh in Toronto. <laughs> I know it's like it's like my dream to like not have to spend winters here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so question number four: If you lost all your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? Ooh, that's a great question. I think you know a lot. A lot of the skill set I've, I've learned over the last number of years is something that stays with me. So I'd be you know talk to other people and just kind of like looking at you know connecting and partnering on deals. And a lot of times I'm even today I'm not using my own money. Like I mentioned, my last deal we're getting 100% uh, financing for this deal. So I think it's at this point you know there's a certain level of of um, skills and understanding and. Uh, and wisdom that I've been able to learn and I'd be able to kind of pass it on to people and partner with people and, and you know, I move forward that way. Absolutely. Great advice. And last question. So number five, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how mm. would you recommend that they spend it? $50,000, well, in the GTA doesn't go very far, but in places like where I'm investing now, Windsor, you can definitely get a house, single family easily. I mentioned earlier, $150,000 get a single family rented probably for about twelve thirteen hundred thirteen hundred dollars a month uh covers your expense and you pay pocket three four hundred dollars and that's your first you know first uh, uh you know learning curve one thing we, we didn't talk earlier like fifty thousand dollars the risks you know are big but at the same time like people pay like their university education sometimes you know that much and they don't get to use it mm-hmm. you put fifty thousand dollars into a home you don't even need like, for a house at a hundred thousand dollars you probably need to invest about $20,000, you know, $25,000. So, you know, that's like your education. That's like, you know, you're, you're actually paying to learn and understand how this thing and this whole world of real estate works. So with $50,000, you buy one, potentially two in the right market. Absolutely. So you recommend that they go ahead and they just use the money to buy a property. Absolutely. You know, at some point you can learn, you know, there is a certain element of understanding before you take your first step of investing but you can get into that analysis paralysis we're just constantly looking and reading and and trying to figure it all out but once you're in then you know like a lot of skills once you're actually doing it is when you really learn mm-hmm. absolutely 100 percent agree with that so that was our lightning round and mm-hmm. i want to ask you so you're a realtor as well full-time correct yes yes so are you working with more, you know, investors or everybody or who's your main client base? I, I do work with some investors, but investors can take up a lot of time. You know, their investors can can have you overanalyze and, and you know, we put like, you know, 20 bids 
per one bit of a, a just a general consumer. And a lot of times there's no emotion attached to it. So they're just kind of like put offers, put offers, put offers until something catches. A lot of times they're offering below market. So it's not easy to work with investors. And I know because I've done that, the same the same thing, you know, in the past. So right now as a realtor here in Orange County, uh, where the market's at and what I've been comfortable doing is with working with uh, just consumers. Okay. All right. Good. And so just out of curiosity, are you doing like any type of properties or are you mostly focusing on like higher end or mid range? Here in Orange County, you know, the average homes are in a seven, seven or fifty thousand dollar range for three bedroom, two bathroom home. So I'm focused mainly in that entry level, but also move up. A lot of my clients have uh, either they're trying to get into a home. And that's one of the, one of the factors here is affordability. There's a huge gap of affordability. You know, when entry level homes are like you know seven hundred thousand dollars, you know people want to own a home, but they just can't afford it. So I'm working with a lot of home, you know, first time home buyers where they may qualify for down payment assistance, and you know they get into their first home. It potentially it's like a, a condo or townhouse, and then hopefully in a few years they're gonna move up to the next step. So I, I'm working with like entry level and also move up people who own the home now for a few years and they're looking to to move up to the next level. Okay, awesome. So Tomas, where can listeners find you? So if they wanted to reach out and know more about you, what's the best way? Very easy. Just go to my website, tomaslorini.com, uh, or you can contact me directly. All my info is on my website or just email me at tlorini at kw.com. Okay, awesome. And any final words of advice or anything else that you would like to let the listeners know? You got to take action. I mentioned earlier, you can read, you can listen, but at some point you're going to have to take some action. So I just definitely recommend you to do your homework, but at some point, take the step, invest into something small, you know, a small condo, a small townhouse, something where you can afford or potentially in partner with a more experienced investor. Um, you know, and that's what I do a lot of times. I invest with people who don't have the time, may not necessarily have the expertise, but they're looking to get in involved in real estate so you know you partner together and that's their first step into it and um and definitely feed what you know in terms of what your the content you're 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 reading and exposing yourself to just be aware of that you know you're constantly learning and growing and i'm all about self-improvement i'm always about learning more better bigger strategies so definitely want to you know keep putting the right information you know into you Okay, there you go. There you have it, guys. Take action, learn and take action and don't sit on the sidelines for the next 10 years. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Tomas, for being on Where Should I Invest? I really, really appreciate your insights. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me, Sarah. And I love listening to some of your other podcasts. And again, thank you. And I wish you all the best. Awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.